The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning to you. Um, we had, Lee and I had so much fun with you last summer, and so when we got the invitation to come back, it was just an absolute lay down. said, absolutely, we'd love to come back. Uh, love worshiping with you. Uh, it, it just really is a blessing to be with you. I wish that I had time this morning to kind of talk through some of our mutual connections so you'd know that I'm sort of distant family. I really am. I'm maybe distant, distant, but we, uh, we so much have enjoyed um, our time with you last year and, and this morning. Uh, you don't know how uh, significant John and Kelly are in my memory uh, as we think back to those days when I was um, when, when we were starting a campus ministry over at Memorial Road and John and Kelly were part of that and there was there was a season there when when God was doing some really really cool thing uh, a really really cool thing and John and Kelly were right at the heart of it and I um, I can't think of them without without feeling I mean I, I feel you know some of the times when Paul describes his relationship with these people that have history in the gospel that's how I think about John and Kelly um, I know you've been talking about unity and this morning, I, I want to address um, a piece of that with you. So if I were to describe it, I would say that, that, that an engine has essentially two, two kinds of, of fluids in it, right? It, it's got the power of gasoline that drives it. So if I were to say for unity, what, what's that? Well, that's the power of the gospel as expressed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and as experienced through the power of the Holy Spirit as he indwells us, right? So that's, that's where the power for unity comes from. But the other piece of your engine that if you don't have that right, you're not going to do very well is oil. It's what makes everything work. It's what makes everything work together. It sort of greases the thing so it makes things a little easier. And I'm going to suggest to you this morning that the oil for unity is forgiveness. The oil for unity is forgiveness. Here's what I know. Somebody's wronged you. Somebody sometimes somewhere wounded you. You've been lied to and lied about. You've been betrayed and ignored. You've been stolen from and taken advantage of. Somewhere, sometime. That's happened to you. You've been criticized when it wasn't fair. You've been passed over and unappreciated. You've been ridiculed and humiliated. Someone has been purposefully cruel to you. Somebody has been unbelievably selfish towards you. And all of that was painful and frustrating, and it made you want to get even. And you know what's worse? See if I'm telling you the truth. Most of it came from someone you love or look up to. Most of the time it comes from somebody close to me. Forgiveness and loving my enemies is a beautiful picture that I'm really great with. I love the sound of it until... I realize that my enemy is also my brother 
or my father or my mother or my spouse or my friend. It's the people closest to me who most often need my forgiveness. Right? It's not some distant place. It's not some distant people. It's, it's almost always the people closest to me. And I know something else. Jesus commands you to forgive because he wants you to be happy. He wants you to be happy. I want you to think about this. People who don't forgive cannot, cannot be happy. You don't know anyone who's holding on to bitterness and anger and hatred who is at the same time joyful and happy. You don't know that person because they don't exist. Someone has said refusing to forgive is like drinking poison so the other person will get sick. Jesus doesn't want you to be sick. He wants you to be happy. He really does. So how do I do this? How do I forgive? I'm going to start with a definition that I, I, I want you to hold on to and I want you to consider because I, I, I think it's really, really important to understand what forgiveness is, what, what it actually is, okay? Forgiveness is when I renounce the right to accuse or punish someone. Forgiveness is when I have the right, right? I've, you've done something to me, somebody's done something to me, and I renounce the right. I say it's not my right, not my job, to accuse them or punish them. Forgiveness isn't a feeling, it's a decision, it's a determination. I'm not passively ignoring what happened or pretending that everything is fine. It's acknowledging the hurt and then choosing to let go of something that I might have the right to. Forgiveness isn't just refusing to accuse or punish, it's renouncing the right. Right, so I'm not, I'm not going to say, okay, I'm going I'm to, for now, hold on to my right to accuse or punish you at some point in the future. I'm just going to carry that around inside of me. No. Forgiveness says, I'm letting it go. And I'm renouncing the right to pick it up again. So where do I start? I'm going to give you the punchline. Ready? Forgiveness begins by changing the way that I think about myself. Forgiveness begins by changing the way that I think about myself. Not the other person, not the situation, myself. Here's our text, Matthew chapter 18. Jesus has just finished giving a teaching on what to do when a brother sins against you, how to go. There's a process he walks through. So, okay, first you go to him yourself. If you don't listen, then you take someone else along, and then, and then you go to the church. You go to the elders, you go to the church. And Peter's like, whoa, this is really hard. So Peter comes to Jesus with a question. You'll remember the question. I want you to pay real 
careful attention to Jesus' answer. And Peter came to Jesus, verse 21 of chapter 18, and he asked, Lord, how many times do I forgive my brother? Up to seven times? You know the answer, right? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Or 70 times seven. You it, it's, it's, don't quite know what the interpretation is. It's a lot. And then Jesus, I, I don't, I'm not sure we often connect the story with what Peter has just asked. Then Jesus tells the story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he began the settlement. A man who owed him 10,000 talents, which is like a billion dollars. Okay, just, just think a billion dollars was brought to him, and since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. So this guy's going into slavery. And the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him. And he canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a, a hundred denarii, which is, you know, a hundred bucks. And he grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and said, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants heard what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. And the master came to the servant. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all this debt of yours. And because you begged me to, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, this master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Now, here's the key. I want you to, this is huge. Peter assumes, when he asks the question, how many times should I, Peter assumes what? That he's always going to be on the forgiving side did you notice that about this story? Peter assumes, as he thinks about his life, the problem for, for Peter isn't how many times do I get forgiven. The problem is I am this great fountain of forgiveness. I'm walking around the world as the good guy in all of the situations that I encounter. And, and Lord, how many times must I be this generous benefactor of forgiveness? I give and I give and I give. And I, how many, how long, how much, Jesus? Now, you can't be too hard on him. It's, it's the way human beings think about the way we are. In 1967, social psychologist Dr. Jones and Dr. Harris described what they call the fundamental attribution error. It's a fancy way of saying that when somebody does something to me, I almost always am going to explain it by attributing it to their character. Okay? When somebody does something to me, it's because they're bad people. But when I do something, it's because of my situation. 
So this morning, on the way here, my lovely bride asked me for a Diet Coke. And as we were driving down, what's that road right there? Uh, well, anyway, the one close to here. <laughs> and I saw a Sonic to my left. I had to cross two lanes of traffic safely out of dear concern for my lovely wife to hit the turning lane and turn into the Sonic and get a Diet Coke. The person who was behind me, who laid on his horn and waved at me with a very skinny hand, <laughs> did not understand the purity of my motivation for doing what I did. Because that's the way we are. When I do it, it's, it's circumstance. When you cut me off, you're a jerk. And Jesus knows this about Peter, and he wants to help Peter. He's not setting the bar even higher. I, I think we've taught this wrong. I don't, he's not saying, oh, no, 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 Peter. It's not just seven times seven. It's 70 times seven. No. He, he's looking at Peter, and he's helping Peter see himself more clearly. He's saying, Peter, who are you in this story? You, you want to be the benevolent king that's just forgiven everybody. Or, or, or maybe you're the, you're the guy at the end who just owed 100 bucks, Peter. You're the one in the middle. Here's the truth. I've wronged somebody, and so have you. I've wounded somebody, and so have you. I've lied to, and I've lied about somebody, and so have you. I've stolen from and taken advantage of, I've passed over, I've failed to appreciate, I've criticized when it wasn't fair. I've attacked when they weren't looking. I've ridiculed and humiliated. I have been purposefully cruel. I've been unbelievably selfish. And all that was painful and frustrating, and it made someone close to me want to get even with me. And he forgave it all. Right, so that, it's, it's where all conversation about forgiveness has to start. It's not about the situation. It's not about what they did to me. It's, it's, it's who am I? Who am I? I'm the one that's been forgiven. And it sort of changes the whole calculation, right? I mean, you, you, you stop asking the question, how many times do I have to, do I have to forgive someone? I, I, it changes the whole question. Years ago, I started saying when someone asked me, how are you doing? And I'd say, I'm better than I deserve. Long before Dave Ramsey said it, I said it. <laughs> and it was 
honestly a decision I made to remember this passage, to remind myself of my true situation. I'm way more screwed up than I want to admit. But when I finally do, when I finally get to the place where I can admit that what I owe is way more than anyone owes me, there is freedom and joy in it. I can forgive from my heart because I know who I am. And if I forget who I am, forgiveness becomes almost impossible. I don't want to say a word to the deeply wounded, though, to those of you who've been abused and betrayed and you're carrying around a deep and persistent bitterness and anger towards someone who deeply wounded you. I am so sorry. It wasn't supposed to be like that. That person who was supposed to love you and care for you and protect you and nurture you and they didn't and it's wrong. But listen, does the end of the story bother you a little bit where the, where the master calls him back and then puts him in prison and says, torture him? And Jesus says, that's how God's going to treat you if you don't forgive? Does it bother you a little bit? It shouldn't. It feels like a threat, but it's not. It's a description. If you don't forgive, listen to me, church. If you don't forgive, this is not a threat. This is a description. If you don't forgive, you'll pay for it for the rest of your life. You will. You don't know people who carry around bitterness and anger and rage inside Sometimes for people who are long gone, long dead, long past, and who carry it around inside of them and, and, and don't do the work of forgiveness, you don't know people like that who are happy. You don't. And so Jesus says, if you can't figure out how to forgive, you're going to get stuck in this vicious cycle for the rest of your life. And you'll never be able to escape it. So I say this with all compassion and respect to those of you who have been wounded. You're not just an innocent victim. Maybe you are in that situation, but you're also the guilty villain. And Jesus is inviting me and you to turn and face that reality and to come to grips with it, to accept it, and then turn to the person and face the person who hurt me in my heart and I say, I renounce the right to accuse you or punish you. And that's a powerful thing. It's freedom and it's joy. And I want you to walk out of here committed to forgive people who've hurt you and feel good about it because it's the path to joy. It really is. 1 Peter 2.18, I'm just going to, we're just going to briefly touch on, a, on, a, on an idea that I think is important as you think about, okay, well, how do I forgive? 
1 Peter 2.18, Peter is <clears throat> writing to the church and he's describing how everybody should act. And, and in 18, he turns and addresses slaves. I want you to listen to what he says. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Someone's hurting you. Someone close to you is hurting you. For it's commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he's conscious of God. But how's it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good, right, and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he, what? He did not retaliate. He forgave. He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly so that we might, and, and, and he himself bore the sins in his body on the tree. Now listen to what I'm going to tell you. Jesus wasn't just passive when it came to forgiveness. He wasn't just saying, let's just ignore it. He did something very different from that. Peter says what Jesus did when he was insulted, when he was beaten, when he was harmed, when he was treated badly, he didn't just say, well, I'm just going to ignore it and forget about it. He says instead he did what? He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Now, I don't know if you've thought about forgiveness in, the, in this light before or not, but I think it's life-changing. God created in you the longing for justice. God created in you a heart that says, I want things to be made right. I want the truth to be known. I want the world to get leveled. I want the bad to be punished and the good to be celebrated and rewarded. Don't you? And sometimes I think as believers, we, we sort of have dismissed the notion that justice is a good thing. But your God is a God of justice. He's a God of justice. He's not, when, when you're being asked to forgive, you're not being asked to just ignore it and pretend like it never happened. What you're saying is, I'm not the one to do it. I'm going to give it to God to do it, and he's going to do it right. He's going to do it fair. He knows more than I do. He knows the situation better than I do. He knows the person better than I do. He knows that dude wasn't cutting me off because he's ugly. He was just trying to get his wife a Diet Coke. God knows this, <coughs> right? God knows the whole story. He knows how much I've contributed to it. He knows my role in it. So when Jesus entrusts himself to the one who judges justly, he's not just saying forget about it. He's saying I'm going to let God make it square, which is the longing of the human heart that God put in you. He's a God of justice. Someday, someday it's all going to get fixed, all of it. Someday every single wrong is going to be righted. Someday every single thing that has been hidden in secret is going to be exposed and known and everyone will know the truth. And you don't have to do it. 
brothers and sisters, that releases me like unbelievably. I don't have to say what they did was right. I just am not the one to fix it. I don't, I don't have to look at them and say, it doesn't matter. Of course it matters. But I'm going to let the one who judges justly get it right. I'm going to let the one who judges justly take care of it. I'm going to let the one who knows the whole story and everything about everyone involved, I'm going to let him square it up. The one who's good and loving and kind and fair. Now, one of the problems, honestly, and you and me both have the same problem, is we're afraid, we're afraid the judge is going to treat them like he treats us, so we kind of want it to be a little, you know, because he's pretty good. He's pretty kind. He's pretty merciful, and we just have to say, okay, he's going to square it. I don't stop longing for justice. Two more thoughts, and we're finished. Second thing Jesus did is Jesus, Jesus made space for a different story. In Luke 22, 30, 23, 34, you remember this. He looks around at the people who are, who are just being so cruel to him, and he cries out to God and says, Father, forgive them. Why? They don't know what they're doing, right? That's rubbish. They knew exactly what they were doing. They did it on purpose. With malice, they plotted against him. They manipulated the system to treat him unfairly. They purposefully ignored what God had done through him. They chose him instead of Barabbas. End of story. He has every right to curse him, and he makes room for a different story. He's able to separate himself and consider an alternative. They were caught up in forces they didn't understand. There were circumstances beyond their control. He's able to step back and see that there's more going on. If you can separate yourself and take a step back and say, I might not have the whole story. I might not have the whole story. Then forgiveness becomes. So, so now we've started with entrusting it to, to God who, who takes care of it, right? He takes care of it. And then, and then for my own kind of personal sanity, I'm able to think about maybe this has a different story to it than I'm com committed to. Here's the last thing. And this is like, this is when, if you, want, if you want the power of God to get unleashed in your life, there's a last step. And it is step, you don't skip the first two. But if you determine to bless, something powerful gets unleashed. Peter describes it, says, when you, when you bless instead of curse, it's like heaping coals, burning coals on their head. Now, what, well, you know what that means? If you choose to bless someone who's, who's trying to harm you, it's probably going to be irritating to them. They're not going to enjoy the experience, but you will. It'll be good. This is for you, not for them. When you choose to bless, when you choose to pray for, see, what Jesus did when they cursed him, he took care of their kids. He, he healed them. He, he took the last step and chose, rather than to curse or harm or just stay neutral, he chose one step further, he chose to bless. 
He didn't just patiently endure his critics. He prayed for them. He didn't just ignore their insults. He healed their babies. So find a way to bless them. Even if it irritates them. When you choose to bless, the power of God is unleashed towards you. Something happens inside of you. The Holy Spirit does some of his most transforming work in this moment. Remember, this is a, this is a cycle, and this is the last step, and you may have to go back to the first step and then try the second step again. It's, 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 it's not, it, it doesn't happen in a moment, but if, if you'll commit yourself to let God, let God square it, right? Entrust yourself to the one who judges justly. Don't stop longing for justice. Just let it be in the right hands. You're not the right judge. Right? And, and, and then if you'll move all the way, if you'll, try to, if you'll try to allow yourself to think about the situation and, 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 and allow for a different kind of story that maybe, maybe again, that maybe that guy wasn't just being a jerk this morning. Maybe, right? There's, there's other possibilities. And then if you'll move to bless, forgiveness is a process. And it may not happen in a day, and you may have to keep coming back to God as judge. There's more going on here. How can I bless? You may have to do it over and over again. But at some point, at some point, when, you, when you've received and experienced the forgiveness that you didn't deserve and you allow yourself to be a forgiving person there's that's how you live a rich full life right am I wrong about that am I wrong about that isn't that how you live a rich, full life? Or you could choose to just carry around your grudges and your anger and your bitterness and your resentment, some of which may be absolutely, absolutely true. I mean, I, I'm not saying that, you, you, you understand, I'm not saying that it didn't happen. But you could choose to carry that around if you want. And you'll never be happy, ever. You know I'm telling the truth. You know I am. As a forgiven person, I choose to forgive. As of this moment, I renounce the right to accuse or punish. Instead, I'm going to entrust him to the one who judges justly. I accept that I might not see the whole picture, and there may be a different story And so, as a follower, an imitator of Jesus Christ, I choose to bless instead of resent. Let's stand for prayer. Right now, I just want you to close your eyes and... Some of you are going to a situation right now. You just are, you're all over it. You know exactly, you know exactly where that, where that place of grudge or hurt or resentment is in your heart. And it's just, it, it, it just, it's there like a, 
like a thorn that you can't seem to pull. It's there. It just sits on you, and it's just a constant source of pain. Let's pray. God, we are grateful that we are forgiven people. We ask you to help us to see that with clear eyes and a, uh, a more honest a more honest appreciation. That instead of excuses or um, diminishing, that we would fully and freely receive, understand just how just how terrible we've been. How many times we've chosen the path of selfishness. How many times we've hurt somebody. How many times we've chosen to be mean. We've talked behind somebody's back. We've injured their reputation. We've said harsh things about them and just so many times it's just so piled up and we can't ever we can't ever be rid of all of it and to know that today that we are forgiven reconciled whole beautiful people to you may we know that in a place that allows us to stand so that forgiveness isn't a burden. It isn't an exhaustion. We don't have to keep score of how many times we do it, but as forgiven people, we are just conduits of forgiveness and blessing. And then let unity, let unity roll through this church with accounts that are kept short, with relationships that are kept fresh, with bitternesses that are forgotten or set aside so that you can do your full and complete work through this body. Bless them. Bless them to be happy. Bless them to be joyful. Bless them to be full. Bless them to be clean. In the name of Jesus, amen.